0: Hey, welcome back to the Gen X Voice Podcast. I'm your host Trish The Dish, and just want to jump in real fast and make a disclaimer that um, I had said that uh, Colin, this this next guest is the first author I've had on the podcast, but actually um, I did have Tig from the Daniel Larson Project um, on, who did um, podcasting made simple and a few other books, um, so my disclaimer is this is the first fictional author that I've ever, um, had on the podcast or ever talked to. So fiction writing, um, in my brain somehow is different. So just wanted to jump in and say that really fast. And, uh, this is a really fun episode because we talk about Colin's book, the Oxford Chronicles and, um, his childhood and how that sort of acted as uh, a muse to writing this book. And then we kind of talk about how, um, you know, what's it like to be uh, a young person today and, and the pranks that we see on Instagram and, um, just parenting um, a new generation um, without having free-range kids and things like that. And I think, I think you'll really like this episode because um, it's true Gen X um, storytelling and um, experience brought to life. And I uh, really hope you, uh, you check out the book after you listen to Colin talk. Enjoy the show. All right. Hi, Colin. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you?
1: I'm doing really well. Thank you.
0: Um, I have to say that um, I uh, I'm so excited to talk to you because um, I have never in my life met someone whose book I read. Oh, really? (laughs) And so um, as someone who's been an avid reader for as long as I can remember, um, this is kind of like a, a really awesome um, experience for me. And, um, and I'm super excited to tell the listeners that, um, I'm going to be having some other authors on this season too. So, um, you're going to be our very first author on the podcast. So first of all, I want to say, thank you so much for sending me your book. And of course, thanks for being, oops, excuse me. My voice went away for a second. (laughs) Thanks, (laughs) Thanks so much for being on the Gen X voice, uh, podcast, but, um, before we get into uh, in, into the book, Colin, uh, The Oxford Chronicles, um, I want to have you tell the listeners what year you were born and what generation you most identify with.
1: Okay, I was born in uh, November of 1969, uh, at practically 1970, and uh, I definitely identify with uh, Gen X. Um, I wasn't, you know, for the longest time, we, I felt like we really didn't have, a name. We didn't really have a, um, uh, a a group, you know. It was the, the baby boomers and uh, gr- growing up during the 80s. I think you you've, uh, you recalled that everything was all about the 60s, oh, and God. I and I always thought, God, you know, I I hate the 60s. <laughs> so I'm so sick of hearing about them. And uh, <laughs> God, I hope when we grow up, we're just as big of jerks about our generation. But fortunately, we're not. <laughs>
0: you know it's funny that you should say that because um, I remember watching a Pepsi commercial and them calling us gen x mm-hmm. and um and being kind of young, but um uh I don't know when was the first time you heard our our generation being referred to as gen x
1: gosh i I think I must have been in college uh the first time that they that it was and i and I didn't quite get it you know what what is what is this? Generation X to me was the the band that Billy Idol was in before he went solo.
0: Oh my gosh, you're the first guest to to know that, or at least talk about <laughs> that. That's so rad. Yeah, because whenever you tag like uh, Generation X on Instagram or something, it always you always wonder like, oh, is this like the Billy Idol group? Or
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I I wondered if if that was where it came from. I wasn't, you know, that was kind of my first thought. But I don't know if there's any connection.
0: I don't think there is, I think, um, you know, it's funny, you would think that I would know this, but I've never really looked that deep into it, but I have heard a couple things. One of them being like, we're the 10th generation, um, of, um, you know, the, uh, some kind of, I don't know, the United States, I don't even know. I just made that up, yeah. but uh, <laughs> the other thing was that it was, um, because they didn't have anything better to call us, and mm-hmm. what's interesting, Colin, is that um, there's been a lot of uh, a lot of stuff written about how um, the baby boomers are really the only um, kind of one of the only last major um, historical event named generations so the reason why the baby boomers were named that i'm sure you know because like you said that's all we ever heard growing up well Mm -hmm. it's because the big boom in birthing um after world war ii right and and so not there wasn't like a significant um sort of historical thing that occurred to to create a generation x but um i remember also um thinking that like we were, we were kind of um, just kind of put down. Like, I remember the Pepsi commercial was cool. Cause it was like, you know, generation next. I don't know. If uh, you remember that at I all. remember that. Yeah. I that was <laughs> coolest. I'm still a big Pepsi fan to this day. Actually. Um, probably because of their adverts when I was a teen, but. Um, yeah. I, I still, we
1: drank growing up. My teeth are, are great evidence of that. So.
0: <laughs> well, I wasn't allowed to have su- sugar as a kid because you know, in the seventies, it wasn't ADHD. It was hyperactive disorder. And they just Uh told my mom no sugary cereals, no soda, no Kool-Aid. So, um, I only got that when I went to my friend's houses, which I tried to do as much as I could, especially every day after school, but, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but, uh, yeah, so I'm making up for lost time nowadays, but, um, but yeah. And so, but, but it's so funny, right. That, um, so the millennials, I guess, you could technically say that that's a historical situational name, right? Because they came of age in the, you know, turn of the millennia. Right. But but I don't know if you remember them being referred to as Gen Y for a long time. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I still have fights with, with uh, millennials that are like, Oh, I'm Gen Y. And I was like, yeah, yo, that, that name was like replaced like it's not why <laughs> lineal you know and now we've got zenial and we've got Gen Z and Gen Y or the alpha generation. So it's like uh I don't know what are we gonna just alpha goes the to the front. So like is that really how boring we're gonna be forever? Yeah yeah <laughs> just no we've got to get something
1: something to happen that they uh they can point out to you know lay their claim to
0: right right but um but yeah so um I'm, I'm, again, I'm s- super excited to have you on. Um, I, I really wanna talk about um, how it came to be that you wrote this book, The Oxford Chronicles. Um, what, what inspired you to write this book? And, and this book just came out. You sent me this copy um, earlier this summer, um, right. right around the time that you uh, published it, am I right?
1: That's right, yeah, it came out in, uh, in May. Uh, on Amazon, uh, self-published, I, um, I, I, I kind of, I grew up uh, in, a, in a very small town uh, in Connecticut. Actually, I had grown up in Florida, who lived there until I was about 10 years old. And my parents were originally from Connecticut. They didn't like Florida at all, uh, so they couldn't wait to get back to Connecticut. Well, I didn't know anything about Connecticut, I was 10. So we, I was kind of dragged kicking and screaming out of, out of Florida where we'd, we'd go to the beach every weekend and it was beautiful. And I had a, uh, you know, I had a lot of friends and I was kind of the class clown. And um, so we, we end up moving up North to this, you know, out in the in the country. Uh, to me, that just seemed like the worst thing in the world where we lived a half a mile from a dairy farm um, on the corner of Quaker farms and Hogsback road.
0: Was oh the name of the, man, that the street. Looked, smelled
1: great. It, it smelled wonderful, especially, <laughs> especially during the summer when uh, there, there were, fields cornfields all over to feed the cows and there's a, a truck that I don't I don't I don't know about my language on here if I can swear or not
0: but you can fucking square Colin ours. Okay. Square. <laughs> wow. I was so excited to tell you that you you're so it. great to hear. Yeah, so
1: excited <laughs> to say it. Yeah. Well we had the, the the cow shit truck that would be loaded with with you know manure that would go up and down the streets to the different fields and drop the manure for fertilizer. So uh in the summer when the, the road is you know, 200 degrees on the asphalt and these big plops fall off of the truck and in the middle of the road and cook. Um, you couldn't get wow. away from it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but but fortunately there were, there were a group of kids in the neighborhood at the time that we hung out with and uh, I started to make friends, but I was always kind of the odd one out. I had a, a younger brother by two years who's much more athletic and much more outgoing. Uh, I was kind of this uh, anxious somewhat depressed short kid who, you know, preferred to be in his room making little cartoon animated movies with his super eight camera. Um, And uh, I kind of finally got into my own a little bit by about eighth grade. And unfortunately for me, the, the town Oxford that we lived in was very small and they didn't have a high school. So your options were to go to the high school in the town next to us, which is Seymour. And Seymour was where all the headbangers went. So in the eighties you had, you know, the metal heads, the metal kids, the chains we the We called wallets. them Hessians.
0: Did you, oh, you got- call them Hessians? Did yeah. Did you hear that term? We'd, I'd never heard that
1: term until much later.
0: Okay. Yeah. I think yeah. it came out more in, you know, um, maybe the late eighties uh-huh. um, or, or, or mid eighties. Mid, yeah. I would say late eighties. Like when, when heavy metal really was just like, I don't know so MTV-fied, but it became, I'm sure. Yeah, it's it like a joke. <laughs> well, back then, you know, uh, if it wasn't on MTV, it wasn't national. And so right. I, I have this this feeling, and maybe I'm wrong, but since you're a couple years older than me, Colin, maybe you can you can tell me this is true or not. But I feel like everything sort of happened either in the UK or New York, and then it just slowly went across the United States. So <sighs> By the time yeah. it came to us in the Southwest, or even if I was in Illinois, um, cause I lived all over as a kid, um, I, there's a good chance that you guys might've already been done with it by the time it came over either, what <laughs> I always got that
1: impression too, that it's everything started in New York. Right. And it just it moved out from there. Um, so yeah, it was the, the, the headbangers. It was a very a kind of a, a New York mentality. Uh, hooray for us, fuck you. Um, you know, it's the, the dudes with the, the leather jackets and the, the comb with the it's fist on it.
0: The post punk before uh, Pennywise and Green Day came out. It's yes, it's like yes, post punk movement that occurred.
1: Right, and they they would gather in McDonald's parking lots, uh, showing off the chrome <laughs> on the engines of their Novas. Yeah, and 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 anybody who you know walked by, they'd yell "nerd" and you know uh, spray you with beer or whatever. And the girls were just as mean as the guys. Um, so we were, you know, guys like me were, were terrified. You don't go to McDonald's after dark um, or the mall for that matter. So those were the you know, I was, um, you know, it's kind of fresh meat for those guys, people like me. Um, so that was the other high school that it was all of those guys. So I would have lived stuck in my own locker probably for six hours a day had I gone there. Uh, so the other option were uh, private schools in the area. Uh, my We did not come from money, uh, and um, but my family kind of helped out and you know, my grandmother and my uncle gave us some money so I could go to a school where I didn't get murdered. And I ended up going to uh, a private Catholic, Catholic high school, a few towns over in a city called Waterbury. I think I said in the book that for five years in a row, uh, Waterbury was voted as one of the best places to get punched in the face. Uh, so...
0: But it was, it was, so these are real places that you're talking are, about in your. These corner. are real places. Yeah. yeah. So that's cool to know. But, cause I know parts of Connecticut, but, um, cause I have a good friend that's from like, um, uh, outside of Hartford and, and uh-huh. some, some other, um, spots, but they're, um, they don't sound anything like, uh, how you grew up. It,
1: yeah. You know, you know, a lot of everybody I talk to thinks of Connecticut, if they know even where it is, uh, they think of it as, as old money.
0: Yeah. Uh, and and were, those big sort of colonial style houses that look like mansions to me. Right. Right. Yeah, the columns on the, you know, on the. On yeah. The front.
1: Yeah. My 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 experience was was very different. Um, it, Very blue collar. Uh, the 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 school that I ended up going to, uh, I'm not going to say the name of the actual school, but uh, I think I called it St. Charles in the book uh it's uh it's beautiful it's it looks like a, a country club it's a big campus and it was all all the kids from surrounding towns ended up going there so all the kids with with money really uh, you see kids on their 16th birthday some of them you know come in with a new mercedes or new jaguar and uh, i'd never seen anything like that and that was so intimidating to, to to me and to my small group of friends to see that but we really ended up keeping to ourselves we, we kind of i think we uh counted ourselves out right from the beginning We're like this is this is not us we don't belong here but uh for a little bit yeah, a short period of time we, we almost thought of trying to go back and okay we'll take our chances and see more but um after a couple of friends of mine visited there they came back and they said no you you will die so wow he just kind of gave up on that idea uh but you know because we were uh, being invited to parties or uh being swarmed by by girls or guys or whatever, uh, we decided to kind of make our own fun. And in the eighties, if you know, you think about the movies like Sixteen Candles or Revenge of the Nerds, um, they everything seemed to kind of be based on a prank. You know, everything was this putting together some sort of a prank, putting together some sort of a way to amuse yourself. And I think we were very inspired by the the John Hughes movies.
0: To, <laughs> yeah, to, very very
1: Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so that's, um, that's what we started to do starting freshman year. Uh, we had, uh, I, I had three friends. They all came from Oxford. And, uh, I, I think somebody asked me, they said, where the hell is Oxford? And I said, well, it's a, you know, it's a small town. It's about 15 miles away. And they said, it's there. And they saw well, like a dairy farm a half a mile up the road. So me making that mistake, uh, we, we ended up becoming known as the, Ops, the Oxford shit kickers. And, uh, <laughs> the four of us, as I said, that's a name that does not shake off easily. We, uh, you know, we, we kind of embraced it. <laughs> like, well, right. we're known for something. Uh, and uh, so anyway, we started to uh, try to find ways to amuse ourselves. And uh, we, because we were all good students, we didn't really get in trouble that much. We didn't get in trouble at all, really. We got away with everything. Somebody else always got blamed. If somebody, uh, Trevor, was kind of our resident psychopath. Uh, he's I can't believe to this day that he's he's not in prison, but he he's <laughs> <Right>. a genius. <laughs> it's the nicest thing I could say. Uh but he's a genius. But he actually now the funny part is that he ends up he ends up working for a security company where he programs security cameras for you know big companies and uh oh deals God. with all that kind of stuff. But I guess you know you you want somebody like that who who thinks that way to uh to oh work yeah. For you. Well
0: it's like uh Columbo joking that. The reason we, why he knew to put a potato in someone's um, tailpipe and, and when he solved one of the mysteries, you know, I don't know if you ever watched that, but. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh, you know, my friends and I were such bad kids and we used to put mm-hmm. potatoes in, you know, exhaust pipes. And he's like, I think that's why I became a cop. You know, like I, I would <laughs> think that's, that yeah, every if, cop is kind of a shithead from their childhood. Yeah, you, you think like <laughs> and that. And if they're not, know? then are, what, what are they even doing?
1: <laughs> right, right. twiddling their thumbs. Um, yeah, so so, so I would, I we would spent four years of, of, I would come up, I would, it, the, the problem was I would always come up with an idea and I didn't in, because I was so anxious. I never meant for anybody to actually do it. I'd say it to be funny. Hey, wouldn't it be funny if uh, we took this book and hollowed it out and put shit in it and put it in, in Lost and Found? Like, <laughs> right. Uh, and uh, my friend uh, Frankie, Frankie was, uh, we didn't know at the time and I hinted at the book. I never come out to say it, but Frankie had Asperger's and, um, he was very literal, uh, but he also really wanted to, to fit in. And we loved Frankie. We, you know, the four of us just thought he was the greatest thing in the world. We thought he was hysterical, uh, but he was game to do anything. So the minute I would say something, he'd be running to go do it. And, and it didn't matter how crazy it was or how dangerous or what the chances were of us getting caught. He was, he was dead set on doing it. Uh, so all these stories would come up nights after college i started telling these stories i mean in college i started telling these stories to people because i moved back to florida to go to the university of south florida and i don't think half the people believe me when i would tell them about these things they would say there's no way you you would you would have gotten caught nobody would do anything that crazy you know how do you happen to know all these nutty people and uh i did (laughs) you know it wasn't like i would try to like there's probably five percent exaggeration in here but
0: Wow. That's the thing I really wanted to know. And, um, you know, I just realized that we haven't really talked about what your book is about, but hopefully the listeners have like sort of pieced together that this is, um, basically a memoir of Mm -hmm. your time in that high school with these three, uh, these three guys just, and every chapter is just one insane prank or just crazy, Uh, activity after another that I was like, this guy has such an imagination or (laughs) shit really happened.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There, there wasn't, uh, there's very little exaggeration. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. We, we kept ourselves busy for sure. Uh, Between the four of us, I would, I would have the ideas um, that we had this guy, Steve, who was uh, the the good looking one that uh, could actually get girls to talk to him. And he was kind of the leader of the group and, and his he was my Ferris Bueller and I was kind of his camera and he, he, he I would be home not wanting to leave the house he'd have a party at his house He'd come on we saved all the green potato chips come over and wouldn't leave me alone until I, you know, left the house got out of bed and, uh, you know, I was terrified of getting into trouble that was my biggest fear in life. And all he wanted to do was get me into trouble just to get me through it get me, you know, get me over that fear.
0: Wow. So yeah Look, was, uh, looking back, what do you think of having a friend like that? Are you appreciative? Do you feel like you uh, is that what helped you be like I'm moving back to Florida like i yes. I can be independent
1: yes, absolutely wow. i I think if I had gone to that school by myself and didn't have these guys that particularly didn't have Steve, um, I probably just would have hidden in my in my room, uh probably would have had great grades. Uh, because that's all I would have done was just work on schoolwork, but I, I wouldn't have gone anywhere. I wouldn't have, wouldn't have done anything. And I think my, uh, my anxiety over everything just would have increased. I don't think I would have had any sort of uh, uh, self-esteem really. And I think a lot of the self-esteem really just came from doing these things and get away, getting away with them and knowing that <laughs> it was, it was me who did that and, uh, and nobody else knowing wow. you know, except for our, our little group of guys. And, and I had a, my brother who was a couple of years younger would, uh, it kind of tag along with us every once in a while and he would tell his friends uh, who were the cool guys these stories and it made them think wow maybe colin's not that much of a dork after all and uh, a couple of them actually said that to me too which made me feel kind of good
0: well, yeah I guess, a,
1: I guess that's a compliment
0: validation is in any form at, when you're a youngster is like that's that's all you need but so you're telling these stories when you're in college um but I mean, it's been quite a while uh, not to age us, but (laughs) (laughs) since we're in college, what what led to uh, you going from telling these crazy stories to being like, fuck it, I'm going to write about this shit?
1: Well, I uh, I I always wanted to be I wanted to be Steven Spielberg when I grew up, when I was uh, I think I was 11 when E.T. came out. And I just remember going out of there thinking the perfect movie has been made um uh, so depressed I think I was depressed for that summer uh, because right. I, I'll never be able to do some in good. our day
0: were about just absolute separation and depression and death like <laughs> right and, and, I,
1: and, I, and I was that kid I mean I was you know I was uh, uh you know uh, anxiety and that, that depression I, we didn't know what that was back then um, right right you know you're just the weird kid uh but I so I think I was nine years old actually I got a super right. eight movie camera and would shoot movies out my backyard and then learn how to animate little play figures. And uh, that's all I wanted to do. I actually had a, a framed picture of Steven Spielberg up over my bed. You know, my brother had oh. poster, posters of Reggie Jackson and Rod Carew and, and uh, all the baseball stars all over his room. And, um, uh, and, and I had this one picture of Steven Spielberg on my wall.
0: That's so, I loved- so awesome. Wow. <laughs> so I-, I mean, he's basically like, a superhero to our generation. I mean, yeah. every single movie, him and John Hughes, right? Like, yeah, they're yep. really. I don't know that I knew many director names um, during that time except for those two. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, they really owned the eighties. Uh, they really defined it, I think. Uh, you know, and, and John Hughes a lot. He brought a lot of music that I never. Would have found on my own.
0: Well, oh, and George Lucas, I gotta throw and that. And Lucas, there. of course, yeah. Oh, sorry, I was like, oh my god, I can already feel like people yelling into the <laughs> into their radio. their radios. Like, what are you doing?
1: <laughs> yeah, so I I wanted to make movies, and I love telling stories. Uh, as you could as you can see, I, I I get going, and and I know my my wife sometimes will be sitting around with my old friends talking. She'll be like, dear God, make it stop, because uh, I'll just go from one story to the next, remembering <laughs> right. things. And uh, I, I love to tell stories. And so I would, uh, people, a couple of my friends said, you should write this down. You should write this down. So my thought was always, I wanted to write it, uh, make a film and make it a very John Hughes-esque type of film. Uh, and because it, it really lent itself to that. And I, I took a stab and for a long time, probably 10 years, I was writing draft after draft. But the problem is that it's, it's really, it was really hard for me to find a, a byline, a byline a single plot that worked with all of these different stories because they're all so episodic. And I, I just kind of gave up after a while. And so I decided, okay, at one point, I'm just going to write the stories as they are. I'm not going to write it in screenplay form. I'm just going to write it as I tell it. And I did that. And that kind of sat for a while. And uh, one day at work, uh, I work for a production company, an animation production company, and they gave us a, uh, I guess HR posted something where you could go to a a school, local a small school here in LA called Studio Arts, and most of the stuff they taught was animation, computer programs, that type of stuff. But they had one that was for story development, and I thought, cool, maybe I'll take Oxford Chronicles in and see if I can do something with. It. I have had the name forever, and uh, I went in. I I met the first person I met was um, the instructor uh, I guess he's his name, Christian Gossett. And he, uh, is the same age. He's, he's maybe a couple of years older than me. And he gave us a couple of prompts to write a couple of things. And well, the first couple of things I wrote were shorter versions of some of our adventures. And he got a, you seemed to get a good, big kick out of it. And he took me aside one day and he said, this should be your project for the, for the semester. Uh, he said, you know, I, I'm a part of generation X and, and he, this came right out. And he said, I, and I, and I, feel like we're the, the lost generation, uh, I, you know, I, I, I love this kind of stuff. And he's like, I think you need to write this. So that ended up becoming my project. And over time, I, I took classes. I probably took five or six of these writing classes, uh, between him. And then, uh, another, uh, instructor named Colette Friedman. And they really helped me to polish it, bring it together and to, to, to just write it as, you know, as the, as they happened. And, uh, Colette said, you know, you can you can easily publish this on your own. It's not nearly as hard as you think it is. And I decided, you know, I'll, I'll self-publish. For a while, I thought about trying to go to a publisher. But people kind of talked me out of it. They said, you know, it's going to take two or three years if you're lucky for somebody to even read it. And if they pick it up, then you've got, you know, another two or three years of people changing it and maybe making it into something that you don't want it to be. So if you publish it on your own, retain the rights, you know, to all the characters and everything you wrote. And if it gets option for a screenplay, you still retain all of those rights. Somebody, it's not like somebody buying your screenplay and all of a sudden you're, you're out. Uh, so I thought, okay, great. That's, that's the way to go. So I started to put it together and I did my research on Amazon and uh, you know, it took a while. I, I hired somebody to go through and just check the spelling and the grammar for me. And uh, I had my very good friend, Chris Collard. <laughs> I gave him the, uh, pictures of us from the yearbook so it's, it's not much of a secret if you have our high school yearbook to know who's who uh, on that on the cover but he did a little bit of 80s artistic work on it. i i sent him so he's younger than me he's probably about 10 years younger than me so i had to send him some uh patrick nagel prints and said you hey, can you do this kind of style this kind of coloring these kind of backgrounds and, and that's what he came up with
0: and it looks really cool and listeners um i'm definitely going to um put uh, the, you know, the picture of the, the book, um, in, 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 in our Instagram page at Gen X voice. So make sure you follow so you can see, um, the book and everything. And, um, obviously I'm going to have a link to your book in the show notes as well. Um, that's, you know, that's so inspiring, Colin, because, you know, I wrote a book, um, I, well, I always considered myself a writer. Like I had um, I had a teacher that loved this short story that I still have to this day um, about how the sky turned blue. Um, And she was like, you're a writer. And that's all I ever needed to hear at 10 years old to decide that, like, I'm a writer. And like, Mm -hmm. I mean, I was really into, you know, diary writing, you know, that big kids call journaling now. Um, And Um, I went ahead and wrote a book and I mailed it to myself so that, you know, it's copywritten or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. that that thing. And, um, and I, I spent like a lot of years trying to um, get that published, but um, you know, and my aunt once was like, oh, you should self-publish. And I was like, "Uh, that's like hundreds of dollars. Like, did Mm -hmm. you, did you feel like, I mean, not that I'm trying to get tips on publishing my book, but um, did you, did you feel like a, like it wasn't that much money for considering um, getting your book out there and um, you, you know what I mean? Like yeah. worth it, yeah. all the, all the money that you spent to self-publish.
1: Yeah, no, I'm, um you know, we're, uh, I've, you know, I got a mortgage, I've got an 18 year old son in college and uh, I, 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 don't have a lot of disposable income. So uh, it was, that was kind of one of the reasons why I went, ah, I'm not going to self-publish. And right. uh, I when I looked into it though, what I found was that uh, the way that it, you do it on uh, Amazon, it, they have their own, they work with a publishing company. And what you do is you, you can send in your manuscript. Now, the, the tricky part, there's a lot of back and forth and this, kind of the tricky part is the formatting, uh, getting that right. But um, it really didn't cost anything if, if, if all you're doing is sending in the manuscript and you make it so that it's uh, pay, print print, uh, print for pay or whatever, the people order it and then, then they print the copy and they send it to the person. It doesn't cost you anything. In fact, you put how much you want the book to go for. They'll tell you how much you have to charge based on how much it will cost for them to print the book. But then you can add however much on top of that price you want to be your profit wow and so the only thing that really cost me anything uh and these were things i chose to do on my own were to um
0: uh, like the editor and
1: have the editor do it yeah and she she did it for me for for a good price and uh so uh and my friend did the the cover for free but I, i definitely want to give him some money for that when i get some money for the book um and then I created a website and then I copyrighted it. So probably the whole thing uh, probably was maybe about $700, but that was spaced way out. You know, the, the biggest one, the biggest expense really was the editing. And that was just because I am kind of insecure about my spelling and my grammar. And, and even though I was an English major, uh, I just wanted to make sure that it, it it looked good and then it,
0: it well, and well. I mean, let's be honest, I don't know how many self-published books you've read, but um, I, as a writer, you know, even though I haven't published anything, I don't even know if I can tell myself that, but um, well, if you, if you I, have to write, you're a writer. Right. That's right. I believe. Or, um, but I, I mean, I cringe whenever I see like misspellings and you know grammatical mistakes in a book because I'm like, damn, that's so lazy. So that sounds like a good investment. So um, you were so much more um, into filmmaking, but um how did you find the writing process or was that something that you kind of dabbled in as a kid too because the 80s kind of were uh like the diary years right like that was kind of a big thing
1: Mm -hmm. I, I had one um I don't know where it is now I really hope it doesn't turn up
0: somewhere um but uh yeah, I, I got some scathing written... secrets in there, Colin. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, just really embarrassing. <laughs> oh,
1: <right. laughs> I, was, I was very naive. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I I, you know, I I would write little books and little stories when I was when I was younger. And then uh, I think that I, I started writing things in screenplay form because I, I like telling stories, but it was a shorthand. And I always thought in terms, of, oh, I'm going to shoot this in my my Super 8 camera, and then when we got a video camera, oh, I'm going to turn this into a movie. And uh, so I was always doing that. I was always writing, and I was always telling stories, and um, it, uh, coming up with stuff. I think I I spent so many summers just uh, sitting up in my room uh, trying to come up with the you know the, the world's greatest screenplay. And uh, every summer I'd, I'd go back to school frustrated that i hadn't done it that year right but you know you every yeah you know, I, I think that when I, by the time i ended up graduating high school it was 88 uh, i desperately wanted to go to film school and at that time a lot of the big guys the newer guys are kind of tim burton um I'm trying to think of who else uh, they had all graduated from film school uh and that was the, the big thing so i had Applied to NYU and UCLA and even University of Miami in Florida had a film program and I got into NYU and I got a grant. Whoa. Uh, yeah. But it wasn't nearly enough. Uh, I have a oh. again, I have a younger brother, two years younger than me. My parents really expected we would be able to get financial aid, but they made just enough that we couldn't get financial aid. So it was out. And, yeah. and uh, I was so sure that we were going to I was going to be out of Connecticut. Uh, I still did not like it. Um, I was so sure I was going to be out of Connecticut and finally going, going to making, doing what I wanted to do, making movies, uh, you know, being in school. And when that didn't happen, I ended up going to the University of Connecticut, you know, seeing another four years. Uh, I was very depressed. And I think I kind of uh, not gave up on the idea of making movies, but it certainly took a lot out of me uh the, my i think my belief that i could do it and in the end really you know a few years later after i moved to florida and i started working in production and nickelodeon and stuff and i started hearing professional people saying oh yeah we wouldn't hire a film school graduate if you paid us for it um wow <laughs> started oh, to feel better man. about that <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> oh that's crazy yeah because in in those days we didn't have these like you know, YouTubers and, you know, Instagram influencers that are like, um, you know, just famous because they're able to network and do all these things. Although maybe that was the same back then, but um, it, yeah, it's, it's a, it seems like it's a lot, I don't know. But then again, I don't know if it's even harder now because everyone wants to be a YouTuber and no one wants to go to college. And,
1: you know, <laughs> it's a lot but- of competition. Um, but I think that uh-huh. talent and perseverance, uh, I think even more than talent, perseverance really uh, it can can put you where you want to be. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I think, you know, I have friends who are extremely talented, but just don't have the motivation to, to put in that the kind of time it's doing what they would love to do. Uh, but there are other guys who are just so focused and so driven and who read everything they can before they dive into a project about how to do it and best way to do it. And uh, those are the guys that always seem to succeed. Uh, unfortunately, I was always the dreamer. I was my, I spent so much time thinking about how great it would be, but not actually sitting down and, and you know, putting in the effort, putting, you know, focusing on the direction that I want to go. I, I did plenty of work at, uh, at Nickelodeon studios and worked on a bunch of commercials and some TV shows back in Florida. Uh, and then this is right after college and then moved out to California. If I had done things right, I would have come out here with, you know, a stack of scripts that I had written and, uh, you know, start pushing those right away. But instead, you know, I fall into working for, you been up working for somebody else. And you kind of put your own thing you know, on the back burner. Yeah. And um, so that's kind of what I did. But in the meantime, I'm telling these stories. I'm still writing. You know, they, I just kind of put these stories in the drawer in my desk and, and forget about them. Uh, but I, I still have friend, friends in the business and I still tell these stories. And they would keep pushing me. You have to do something with this stuff. It's, you know, it's worth it.
0: Well, I'm, I'm definitely glad that you did um, finally uh, get it published sorry um because uh it's it's quite a read it's a, a a really crazy account of of tales for sure um so uh again listeners i'll put a link to the book um it's not for the light uh or the squeamish hearted for sure There's some <laughs> things that are pretty intense um but you know i was wondering um you know as 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 middle age folk you know like um do you feel like the kids of today, like um, have you heard about the uh the devious licks on TikTok? No. So these are a series of pranks that um were put on TikTok. It kind of there were, you know, like Good Morning America and those kind of shows were talking about it. And um there were some pretty terrible pranks um that kids would do because they saw them on TikTok. And um but surely you've heard of like the t- eating the Tide Pods and yes, know, Gen Z and 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 Generation Alpha are very, um, you know, they don't they're not influenced by uh, John Hughes movies, but they are influenced by um, you know their peers, uh, people they see on you know social media. Um, do you worry about those kids, and do you think they've taken the prank to another level, or do you feel like? You would be right along with them um, <laughs> if you were a kid now.
1: That's a really good question. I, I think we were. I think that the the, the pranks, the stuff that we did, had some sort of uh, kind of an inside joke meaning to us. Uh, so we were more apt to to do something that the opportunity opportunity presented itself. Uh, so we would build on that. Uh, I do I do think it's concerning that people will issue any sort of a challenge. It's always the whatever challenge and whatever it is is probably a bad idea if you hear challenge after it, probably something you shouldn't do. but yeah, I mean it's 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 concerning because there are it's bad enough that if somebody's you know 18 or 19 that they'll they'll try to drink a swallow a tide pot or whatever but uh, everybody has access to the internet and you know young kids, watch these things and I, and I think that you know we were 15 16 and we were really stupid but uh we we had some sense of self-preservation when you're when you're eight nine ten and you're watching somebody that you admire doing something really crazy uh you know there's that that chance of them thinking well you know if they can do it i can do it and I, i'm not saying that that means that the somebody is not intelligent it just means that they're not mature and and yet have access to be able to watch something that maybe uh, when we were younger, we wouldn't have heard about or seen,
0: you know. Well, but, you know, our generation were the latchkey kids, right? We spent a lot of time alone. And I wonder, um, because these newer these younger generations um, didn't don't really have alone time, right? They're being carted from one after school event to another. Um, I'm not sure how, how you raised your son, but I mean, did you leave him home alone on hours and weeks? (laughs) No,
1: no, it's, uh, I I think about that we, I tell him, I tell him these stories a lot and he he just kind of sits there wide eyed looking at me like my, my father's an idiot. Uh, and, and, (laughs) and, and he's right, but he, um, no, you know, he, he was never alone. Uh, you know, there was, we didn't sign up for tons of activities but he did do you know we tried karate and we tried baseball and you know, just little things like that see where his interest might be uh, but no there i there was never a time he where he went out into the woods for the whole day and we had no idea where he was uh, like my brother and i you know we would right. we'd be gone all day uh and my parents have no idea that you know we we were hitchhiking up to the general store at you know 11 years old <laughs> um,
0: and this is, we, and this is in the midst of the, you know, stranger danger. Yeah. You know, yeah. This is, Milk this is Carton like
1: era. <laughs> late, late seventies, early eighties, the time of the you know, serial killers were you know, yeah really yeah. The prime. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, we had a mini bike that, uh, we just took everywhere and, uh, you know, try to make ramps and jump on, and, you know, uh, no, I just, I can't imagine my letting my son. I I guess giving him that kind of freedom, giving him that kind of autonomy uh, would be terrifying. I I don't think he's a very cautious kid and I don't think he would make do the kind of stuff that that we did. I I think we all kind of my friends and I kind of fed off of each other, too. Uh, I think his his friends tend to be a little bit more easygoing. But, yeah, it's it's very, very different
0: world. Why do you why do you think our generation is like the generation that was like, no, we're going to not have free range kids. I mean, there are yeah. movements in parts of the country, but, um, I mean, nothing happened to us. Why do you think, right. um, we turned around and of course you've heard of helicopter parents and bulldozer right. parents where it's like, we're, you know, I say we're, but I don't have children, but, um, all my friends do, but, and I was a teacher, you know, like you have like so much more, um, Involvement. I mean, do you think, do you think it has something to do with the fact that not only were we left to our own devices, but there was so much more danger than maybe uh, generations before, and also a lot of us came from broken homes.
1: Yeah, um, that's a really good question. I, I'm not sure because it, it doesn't seem like there was ever a, a particular moment where where some major event happened in the news where all of a sudden everybody decides that we're you know going to keep an eye on our kids all the time. And I, it, I know that when bringing up my son, I never really gave it much thought that how different things were between him and myself. Now, we live in the suburbs in Los Angeles, so it's definitely very different from Oxford, Connecticut. But and I don't know, maybe the kids in Oxford, Connecticut still do the same kind of stuff that we do. Uh,
0: but Listeners, if you're from Oxford, Connecticut, <laughs> let us know. GenXvoice.com. <laughs> Let us know if you're shitting in books. <laughs> <laughs> you
1: no, know, I told that story for years and uh I I never could quite come out and say that, yeah, Frankie took a dump in the book. I, I would say, oh you know, Frankie Frankie went out and scooped up some fresh dog shit from the backyard because it just seemed like it was just going over the top. Like but you just couldn't I couldn't bring myself to go there.
0: That you knew someone that did that. Yeah,
1: and I and I would uh Uh, When I was writing that particular uh, passage, I asked uh, Christian, the guy who was teaching the class, "Should I go there with this?" He's like, "Oh, goddamn, yes!" (laughs) He said, "You absolutely, you have to. You owe it to the world." Um, But yeah, I I don't, I don't know why that happened. Why all of a sudden kids are no longer uh, allowed to run free, you know, without their parents being there. I know, you know, I'd bring my son up to the park all the time, and uh, after school, and I'd sit there and, and made sure that I had my eye on him the whole time. I always had to know where he was
0: and kind of, which is crazy. Nervous. Because, um, I don't remember a parent or adult ever being with me at the park. No, no, ever, 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 or walking along railroad tracks or being in the woods. Like you said, right. um, just, I don't know. Like, I don't, I, I, it's so crazy to me that parents are so involved. And sometimes again, cause I don't have kids. Sometimes I'm like, where are your boundaries or, or like, I guess we had lack of boundaries. I don't know. You know, like it's, it's it's such a, it's such a weird different phase. But um, what I noticed too, is that um, a lot of parents are, their kids aren't leaving home either. And we're finding more and more kids with anxiety disorders Mm -hmm. and um, depression and, Um, and, and just an inability to cope and have jobs, go to school. Um, it's, it's, it's really curious where we are today because there is such and, and, and a lot of people say it's because there's so little, um, independence. And when you have kids that play alone, they, uh, automatically create hierarchies and rules and almost like a Lord of the flies kind of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. but maybe not so, uh, drastic, but, um, I mean, you're, you're problem solving and that's kind of how you and your guys in, in your book are, there's, there seems to be, everyone has kind of their own place. And Mm -hmm. um, even though you guys were teenagers and not kids, I mean, hell, you guys almost killed yourselves, you know, flying off a hill.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: Um, I mean, not always good decisions, but like you said, a lot of these adventures uh, for lack of better (laughs) word, (laughs) shenanigans, um, even though I would never encourage anyone to do them. um, But you came out of it, like you said, with a sort of, um, self-awareness, um, you know, and, 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 um, your, your anxiety decrease. So, I mean, are we hurting our, our kids by not giving them, I mean, does your son, I mean, I'm getting a little deep and a little personal, but you said I could. So yes. Yeah. Does, your, does your son have any sort of anxiety? Do you notice that like he maybe doesn't want to go out into the world as much as maybe you did, or is it totally different because you're just a kick-ass parent and taught him in other ways?
1: Well, I think that he, he, he looks to us much more than I did with my parents, uh, before he does something before he, you know, he makes decisions. Uh, he'll, he'll, he'll ask us, what do you think? Whereas I never even considered asking my parents what they thought yeah
0: and your parents are very little in the book there's hardly any mention except for them being like well don't uh, go have fun putting that sign up on the you know overpass you know yeah i think that's yeah. the only time i i really kind of heard you talk about them except for that they didn't pay for air conditioning too. <laughs> 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 that's every parent in old. the 80s i don't even know yeah. how like we lived because it was so freaking hot back then yeah,
1: no, it's uh, they. Uh, no, we, you know, we, we also, I, and I, and I can speak for my other friends too. Didn't have the kind of relationships with our parents that I think a lot of kids have with their parents now. Uh, we were not equals. Uh, you know, my my father would tell me, was, "Look, I'm I'm not your buddy. I'm not your pal. I'm your dad." Uh, and and that, and that was not that was not mean or 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 anything, but it, it, there was a line. And I, I think that with uh, with a lot of parents, and a lot of kids, now, and I'm sure I'm just as guilty as everybody else, uh, we try to kind of give the kid, give kids more of a, a say in things, or, or, or maybe step back a little bit. But it's I, I think that maybe it's it's the wrong time. Uh, maybe they do need more of that kind of "I'm um, your dad, listen to me. This is what I'm telling you. You're going to do this," or you know. Uh, this is probably going to happen. There are no, you don't see the consequences as much, or they're not as great. But I think maybe in, in some ways that does kind of give kids a little bit of insecurity. Um, you don't have a, a maybe a strong role model or, or or somebody saying, "This is how you should do things," and and because I've been through it. Um, but I, I do see, you know, I may be talking to my ass here, probably am, but you know, I definitely do see with my son. Uh, a little hesitation to, to make uh, certain decisions on his own. And, uh, you know, I, I want him to be able to feel empowered and, and to know that we trust him.
0: I mean, it seems so tricky, right? Because it, and and no generation seems to have mastered parenting. There always seems to be some kind of you know parental guilt or you know yeah. some study that's like well we did it wrong this way you know now here's going to be the backlash of of you know parent parenting this way and um but I mean for all intents and purposes though um I I wish I had the parents that my friends are I mean mm-hmm. to be honest even if some of them are enablers um I I mean they just there, there is, um, there's a relationship there that I didn't have with, I mean, my listeners know that my mom was, you know, bipolar drug addict. So there's a whole other, you know, thing, but Mm -hmm. um, even the parents of my friends, not all of them were very um, cool. Um, Some of them, and I was over there all the time, (laughs) you know, some Mm -hmm. of them were really, really awesome parents, but um there were so many that weren't so um it'll be interesting right it'll be interesting to see how our how our grandkids like that generation um being raised by our kids the you know gen z who knows what name maybe they'll be generation um, you know r but, <laughs> but, you know, um, Colin, I'm going to give you a, a chance now to um, let the listeners know um, where they can, you know, find your book. Aside from my link, if you've got like a Instagram page or any social media or website, uh, now's your time to plug uh, whatever and, and maybe anything you're working on now. OK, um,
1: yeah. OK, so my my book is called The Oxford Chronicles, and it is available on Amazon. Uh, it's ten ninety nine for paperback. Um, I believe it's two ninety nine for Kindle. Uh, for Kindle Direct, it's free. Uh, you can find uh, you can find it on just look up Oxford Chronicles, um, and I have a website and it's uh, www.oxfordchronicles.com. and that has everything about the book and a little bit of. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think here. Is so it? It has uh, some pieces of the book in it that you could take a look at. Uh, from Kindle, and uh, little descriptions of each of the characters, uh, a little bio on me, and uh, some press, so you can see the, the magazines uh, and the, uh, the newspaper clippings that have come around. Um, I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, and um, what else am I on? Um, I think it, just about any social media I can find, and Selma Hyatt recently liked it. So that made me really feel good for about three weeks. Did you say Salma um,
0: Hayek? Yeah. We Damn, were, dude. That's was, awesome. What's your handle going, on those um, social medias? Is it at um, Oxford Chronicles or call yeah. it Fowler?
1: Right. It's at Oxford Chronicles. Okay. And uh, I believe on, um, let me think here. There's a Facebook. Yeah. So just, if you just look up Oxford Chronicles, it should, it should pop up. But yeah, we were, uh, I, I was, looking at my likes a few weeks back and uh it just said different people liked you and then one of them was selma hayek and uh it was it was the funny thing was it was on the Oxford chronicles uh facebook page but it was the announcement about the book and when she liked it this announcement had been up there for a few months so it was like she had had to go down you know several entries to be able to find it but Wow, That was was a thrill because I've been following her career since Desperado.
0: Right? Oh, my God. (laughs) Well, that's amazing. Well, Colin, we wish you all the luck in the world with your book. And listeners, I mean, if you want to see some truly Gen X analog, um, you know, crazy pranks and, and antics, um, it's a great book and, and, um, and I just loved hearing your story, um, of, of growing up and I feel like I, I could talk to you forever, Colin, but, uh, unfortunately, um, we've gotten to that part of the, um, podcast where we're going to take a break from talking, um, about, about, uh, you know, talking to each other. And I'm, now it's time for you to do the rapid fire questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. So again, um, these are questions that um, really just want rapid um, responses until the last one in which you'll have all the time in the world to to dig deep. But so for number one, what is your favorite memory from childhood?
1: Uh, Getting an Atari for Christmas.
0: Oh, uh, yes. Freaking, (laughs) oh my gosh, yes. Um, What is your favorite eighties band or musician?
1: Wow, uh, Prince!
0: Uh, nice, yeah, hands down. Nice. Um, still, I I just said the other day, I still kind of can't believe he's gone. Like yeah. it just still seems every, surreal.
1: Every couple of years, I'm looking for a new Prince album, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah,
0: nice. it's it's. What about your favorite '80s movie? I know it's going to be a Spielberg. Is it ET?
1: It is ET. That that movie wrecked me. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah. I absolutely loved it yeah
0: um and uh so you said you went to college to become a filmmaker is that really why you went to college yeah what um, you end up I, going to college for i guess or why well, right well well i
1: could not go and could not afford to go to a school with a film program in it uh signed so up going to the university of south florida and i uh, by that point i i just realized okay i just want to get out of college so i can move to California. Or, start working in production uh what, what's the closest thing my, my son was aghast when i told him this uh what's the closest thing I, I have what do i have the most credits for that i can get out of here sooner soonest what, what can i major in to be done soonest and they saw well, english literature it's like fine i'm an english literature major and that's that's what i ended up doing which was fine because i love to read and write so it worked but, out but
0: basically you went to college to get out of connecticut
1: yes yeah yeah
0: Okay. Yeah. Um, and finally, Colin, I mean, by the way, it's very similar reason why I left Joshua Tree, California. It wasn't the cool place that every LA person wants to go to now in the mm-hmm. 90s. Um, but um, this is my favorite thing to ask um, uh, my guests. And that is um, Colin, if you could give a bit of advice to anyone in any generation um, uh To get through the bad times, or just life life advice in general, what would that be? Um, The uh,
1: the this is a good question because I've been through a few of them. Uh, um, I think everybody has. You know, the you're you're never alone. You even you know at the worst times, there are people who care about you, and not everybody knows what you're going through. They can't always see it, Uh, so it's important to talk to somebody. It's important to find somebody that uh you know will listen to you and and understand you and and if you really feel like you need to get serious help uh only you know that only you know how you know how deep things are um and 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 do that because you mean something to people you're you're the most important person in somebody's life and uh you know tomorrow i know it's it's a you know it's 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 a overused saying but you know tomorrow is another day and no matter how bad you feel today, you know, it's tomorrow you'll be glad that you didn't do anything drastic. Uh, you, you have a new chance each day. And even when you don't feel like you have control over your life, you do. You have, there's always something that you can do. There's always somebody you can reach out to and, and talk to and ask for help. And and there are lots of good people out there and there are lots of people who, who care about you. So it's very important to know. And I learned that firsthand.
0: Wow, I love that and I can hear the sincerity in your voice and um I really hope if anyone's listening and they are going through any sort of difficult times um because our listener range is hugely varied. Um really Colin's right, there's always someone out there. Um people want to help people get through the bad times. And um and you know what? There's always a group for misfits, am I right?
1: Oh God, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, Colin, thank you again for um for taking time um, to to come and hang out and talk about your book.
1: I can't thank you enough for having me out. I really appreciate it. I had a great time.
0: Thanks for listening. And if you think this is worth listening to, please subscribe, share, and leave a review. Be kind to each other, listen to each other, and let's stop being separated by our differences. I don't want to be, you know, I, mean, I want-